Welcome to Pretty Good Vibrations, the podcast that explores 80s punk and hardcore and the crucial role it played in my guest's life, comedian Sam Talent, and later years in my life as well. I don't think there's a whole lot to say to set this episode up, so we'll just dive in. It is what you'd think. 80s punk and hardcore, it's really fun. It's going to be two parts. Sam is really funny, but also really gets into the psychological and developmental stuff that I'm so interested in. And I just am very, very pleased with how this episode turned out. And I think it's going to be a really good listen if you have any interest at all in this genre. Okay, let's do it. Sam Talent, so grateful to have you here, man. I am a big fan of your comedy. Uh, found you through Simon Gibson, also sounds like future guest of the podcast, um, and I'm just stoked to have you. Dan, uh, I'm going to tell you what, man, I got hit up for a million podcast requests. I always do, uh, but after Rogan, a million came in, and uh, this is my one day that I have off here at home for the next like six weeks, and when you told me you wanted to do a bracket about hardcore bands, I said, God damn it, oh, I'm in. <laughs> I'll fucking do it. This is the kind of shit I love. So um, thank you for having me, Dan. I'm very happy to be here. All right. I'm glad to know that the pitch worked, basically. Bro, I was so eager to say no to all offers and everything. But then for I was sure. like, and now I'm looking at this bracket. I'm fucking pissed already. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'll explain how we got there in due time. But I want to give people, people who haven't heard your comedy, I just want to give, a, this is not, I don't know, representative of your work, but it's a short bit that I find very funny. Let's wet their whistle. Wet their whistle, exactly. I will say this, I'm enjoying a long night of Miller Lite, everyone. Yeah, Miller Lite, sir. You, you know about this? All the kids are going crazy for Miller Lite. Miller Lite lets everyone know, I'm here to have 17 of these. I'm going to gradually become a problem. In about five hours, I'm going to be an issue. But until then, Miller Lite. Miller Lite. The official beer of weekend custody, everyone. Miller Lite. She's not coming back. We are talking about 80s punk, which is primarily hardcore punk. Um, there's going to be, there's a little bit of sort of uh, category fade there with bands like Descendants who have a lot of that and you know of course Bill Stevenson your Fort Collins uh, neighbor yeah old Bill you you know he was in Black Flag and also in Descendants so there's some pop punk there's some hardcore punk but it's mainly hardcore punk this is sort of the second wave of punk rock I am excited to eventually do an episode on that first wave of late 70s bands That'd be tough, man, because then you'd have to put, like, just, first of all, the late 70s, the first wave punk, Dead Boys win it all for me. Dead Boys dominate all of that. I know that's inflammatory. But, like, Suicide has to be in that conversation. Uh, I mean, do you put the Velvets in that conversation? Do you go all the way to, like, proto-punk with Iggy and the Stooges and shit? Like, those brackets are difficult. So I think you've done a really good job with this bracket, for sure. Yeah, it's tough. I was kind of thinking of grandfathering in the stooges because sonically it's so similar they're they're early and maybe new york dolls dolls have to be in there dolls have to be in that conversation dude <laughs> i feel the the pressure is fucking real here about getting that one right <laughs> sam i didn't okay you bring on an entertainer you don't think you're gonna get like a genre policeman here yeah, I know. You don't well, dude, well, I'm not faking my enthusiasm. <laughs> I, know, like, I, know. I have opinions I on this. And my dad was such a hipster that the dolls were on in my house all the time, along with the Clash, along with the Stooges, along with like the Screamers. Like my dad went deep, Ramones, all that, like, you know, Sex Pistols, all that stuff was very, wow. that was like, that was like five years old for me, was like me singing along to like God Save the Queen. When were you born and, and where did you grow up? I was born in 1987 in eastern Colorado in a town of less than a thousand people, Elizabeth, Colorado, out uh, kind of near Kansas. 87. Okay, so I was born in 83, nice. and I can't imagine having grown up like like I was born to like two 
Jesus movement boomers in California. And I cannot imagine having grown up on the Stooges or the Pistols or anything like that. I I had to, of course, find that stuff in in junior high and high school. I grew up in a godless home. And uh, I remember (laughs) my dad was so good at music and he was so eager to share it with me, you know, because I was like a new friend that he had that wasn't over all the shit that he was already all his other friends were already over, you know. With a three-year-old, I know what you're saying exactly, yes. Yeah, it's like, okay, I, one of my first earliest memories is seeing the beginning scene of Clockwork Orange when they save that lady on the outdoor theater stage and oh they beat gosh. the hell out of those rapists. Yeah. Like, my dad was like, this is a cool scene. And yes, there is, like, a lady's boobs, but it's a cool fight scene, you know? So rebelling against my dad uh, culturally ended up really being really hard. Like, one time I was pouting in my room, and I think I was either playing along to um, MXPX, because I played drums. Yeah. I think I was playing along to MXPX really loud, and my dad was like, hey, buddy, if you like this, you should check these guys out. And it was a Buzzcock CD he slid uh-huh. underneath the door. <laughs> so it's like my dad just outcooled me constantly. I mean, I remember my dad turned me on to, like, Lightning Bolt, No Age, Gun Club, like, all the cool shit my dad was on the cutting edge of, and I'm so just grateful for his uh, input. I grew up in like a cowboy town and I was a jock, not a cowboy, a cowboy town. It's more of like an, uh, yeah, rural, rural. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but like the number one means of uh, creating revenue for the town was a rodeo, uh, the Elizabeth stampede. Oh, wow. So it was a lot of like rolling coal, big trucks, chewing skull, you know, Miller, like Garth Brooks type shit. So which Garth Brooks slaps, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But uh, my, I, I had a buddy named Clay DeHaan, who we played Magic the Gathering together from like sixth grade on. And we also played sports. So we occupied a very weird Venn diagram. And then I was already listening to like loud music. Um, but this was, you know, this was Green Day. This was Aquabats. This was kind of your sillier stuff when, yeah. I, was a, when I was a youth. And then Clay's little sister had a subscription to, uh, fuck, I think it was Revolver. And they had like a, a top 25 uh, punk album issue. And I was at Clay's house just kind of looking through it as he was doing chores. So Flag was in that, of course. Uh, Misfits was in that, of course. So this was like probably 14, 15. So we got into all that stuff. But then I remember Clay went to the store. Like one time I went to Barnes & Noble in Parker, Colorado, and I came home with uh, the Minor Threat record, you know, like the the whole record that has all the songs on it, and uh, Damaged. And we were like, this is the juice. But then Clay got his hand on Damn, 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 dude. And damn, damn, damned by the damned. That in the sec- that in the Dead Boys record, holy shit! Because we just thought it was like fast, loud, snotty, you know. Yeah. Like, but then just like there's there's such there's amazing hooks in the Dead Boys, and then the damned, the production value on that record was so gorgeous. So I want to say that like you know I'm all about the SST bands, and when we grew up, I mean Clay learned how to play bass along to my drumming, and we just like were in bad punk bands until we were in a very good punk band called Red versus Black that toured like America for about four years. We based our entire shit on SST, but I gotta say that the Dead Boys and the Damned, those were the ones that really like blew our minds early on. When do you listen to 80s or hardcore punk now? Like, when do you put it on? What role does it play in your life today? I listen to the Minutemen all the time. I listen to Husker Du all the time. Those two bands, constantly a fixture in my life. And listening to this stuff nowadays, like when a song comes on, like when a Descendants song comes on, I'm flipping out. I'm loving it. I really only listen to like the same four bands now, and they're very, very aggressive, like loud noise bands. Any any place for like softer music in, in Sam's brain and life? Or what, what do you think that that kind of constant soundtrack of aggression gives you? I don't know if it's aggression, man. I think it's just, uh, it's, it's enthusiasm and it's energy. Yeah. Um, energy. I don't, yeah. I don't think of these bands as aggressive and yeah, like I love drive by truckers, you know, I love flying burrito brothers. There's, there's bands that, that are, uh, twangier, I think sounds are the ones that I like, but also dude, I don't listen to much music anymore. I'm listening to audiobooks. I'm listening to podcasts. Yeah. I'm trying to like drown out any like thoughts that I might have that remind me of my own mortality typically. So that's like being engaged in radio lab at all times. Yeah. Well, that's good honesty. Get a little, little Woody Allen flavor in here. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only Woody Allen flavor that I have. (laughs) (laughs) To be, to be abundantly clear. Yeah. So, you know, this era way better than me. That's not fair. And no, it's, it's totally fair. It's going to work out well. Um, I will say that when you mentioned the rodeo, 
the MXPX lyric from Punk Rock Show that, that there's no mm-hmm. use in TV shows, radio, or rodeo. I always thought rodeo was just like a, a bad rhyme, but hey, you lived that. You actually were choosing the Punk Rock Show over the rodeo. Yeah, but I mean, the rodeo came once a year. We threw terrible shows, like, you know, at least once a month in the. Uh, yeah. We had Casey Jones Park and they had a community room in there and it was like a hundred bucks. So we would throw shows in the woods and those were fun. And then my buddy Clay, who I talked about, his dad had an empty greenhouse. So we would throw these greenhouse shows where it was just like 100% humidity, like 120 degrees in there. And the town was small enough that like, you know, I played football, Clay played basketball. So the jocks would come, the rodeo kids would come. It was just like a happening. Like the city wasn't big enough to have like these like sectarian sects. So everyone got together to listen to us play like Misfits covers. And it was fun. I love that. I mean, community centers are really kind of what I grew up, you know, going to shows at as well. But in the Bay Area of, you know, I don't know, two or three million people at that point, maybe four. Yeah. There, there was a sectarian vibe, you know, there was the whole, we're the punks, they're something else. And that's really interesting to be in a smaller town where you wouldn't have those lines. Well, to to your point about like being in a bigger city, like when we would go to Denver to see shows, you'd see the skins and you'd see like, you know, the kids that are dressed like, uh, the operation Ivy logo. Yep. And you'd see like, uh, the kids in the cluster fucks jackets, you know? And it's like, we would show up wearing like denim shirts and like cut off denim shorts. We'd be like full like <laughs> child at a Canadian funeral. And we'd just be looking around. Like I remember Clay being in like his basketball, like a uh, practice jersey yeah. when we were at a, uh, I think we were seeing Rollins band and someone being like, look at this fucking poser. And it's like, Clay lives, I was just like blown away. I was like, Clay lives this life more than you ever have. Clay's been organizing and recording shows since he was 15 years old. He learned to play bass along to the Dead Boys and the Stooges. Like, this guy lives it. Like, you're the poser, you know? If you got it, if you spot it, you got it. You know, that old adage, so. I think that the aesthetics can really be a distraction because the aesthetics are so tied to the particularities of a person's, you know, growing up experience, where they live, what, yeah. who they happen to be around. The sonics, the, the sound of the recordings is the thing that stays constant. Right. It's one of the strongest pieces of evidence that this music is ultimately made by children. Yeah, and <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Right? Like we're not we're 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 not uh fully adults when we're making the best punk rock and emo music, right? Like no. it's coming out of a a youthful spot, which has great value artistically. And increasingly, I just want to fucking ignore everything else about it because like I was rewatching decline of Western civilization to yeah. prep for this, the part one from uh-huh. 79 and 80 in, in New York, in uh, LA. Yeah. That's when flags living in the church still. Exactly. Yeah. All three of those films are, are great, but I was just rewatching it. And like, these are just fucking idiots. Like mm-hmm. they're so young. They're so stupid. They're making a lot of them really great music that is still really fun to listen to. Yeah. But like I would, I could not have a three minute conversation with most of the people in that film. I've known so many people who have canonized Darby crash and tried to emulate everything about him. And it's like, look, the germs, the germs rule, but I would never want to have a conversation with Darby Crash. That guy's trying so hard. And that nihilistic try hard shit where it's like, I don't care if I live or die. And I mean, he did actually, you know, do that. He died, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But like, look, people, I mean, I, I've never been one to be anti try hard. Like, I think you should practice your art really hard and try and get it in front of as many uh, people as possible and like take it seriously. But when you're trying hard to look like you're not trying, that's where I kind of draw the line. So, also, in that movie, dude, how lucky was Catholic Discipline to get any airtime ever? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all just because the singer was that writer guy, and he's he's such an interesting character, Yeah, uh, you know, in the Talking Head stuff. But yeah, mm-hmm. he's not a great singer. Um, no. Yeah. Oh, well. I was thinking about post-punk because they, they kind of had like a UK post-punk vibe going on there. And yeah, I mean, they had... They had a look. Anyway. Well, dude, The Fall and Gang of Four. Gang of Four factored heavily into also rewiring my brain because my dad was on Gang of Four and he used to put like that song Anthrax on a lot of mixtapes he would make for me. Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid, I was like, well, this is kind of like angular and shitty. But then you get into the stuff where it's all funky and like almost Minutemen X. Like when I found when I found Wire and I found Gang of Four, I was like, oh, boy, this is a whole new way of doing business, you know? 
What do you want to hear from Gang of Four to just let, let's let's put ourselves back there in Little Sam's on Little Sam's mixtape? A change will do you good is a great song. Is it maybe called Damaged Goods? Damaged Goods, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, dude. Okay, here's Damaged Goods from Gang of Four. Yeah, well, you you haven't heard it, Sam, I'm sure, but we did a whole two-parter on post-punk with my buddy David. Um, we kind of walked through it chronologically, and I know that, that we played that track, and we played uh, a few songs by Wire. Uh, Wire was one of my favorite sort of discoveries yes. from from all the research around those episodes. Yeah, so when I, when I had a car for the first time, 1987 Lincoln Town Car, uh, I had the only the only CDs that I had in there at all times were Pink Flag, the Misfits record that had all the hits on it. Collection, yeah. Yeah, Collection, and then also um, Eternal Cowboy by Against Me. Mm-hmm. And I remember so many times going from uh, Hybrid Moments into uh, Sink Floor to Sink and, like, almost crashing the car because I felt like I was never going to die. Like, those two songs, Hybrid Moments and Sink Floor to Sink are the two songs that have been on when I've almost crashed a car so much. <laughs> I also went through the weird punk, like uh, folk punk phase where it was like all ghost mice and like Defiance, Ohio, and this bike is a pipe bomb. Like all that Planet X shit was a huge deal to me for a while. Let's play uh, Hybrid Moments by the Misfits because Dude. as I'll explain later, let's the Misfits are, are not going to be in this bracket. So we'll, yeah. let's get a little. You better explain yourself, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I will. love about the misfits i've actually been listening to a bunch of them recently as i prepared for this even though they didn't make it in it's essentially 60s doo-wop but done as horror punk yeah no 100 percent. what a combo i mean it's bubble gum dude yeah who it, would like and it, honestly it's it's just down the road from the ramones who are the same like they they correct. both are essentially in love with phil specter and 60s girl groups yeah, it's mm-hmm. all be my baby essentially. Yep. Uh, but then, of course, bringing in that horror and the the incredibly dark lyrics and all that—it's just such an interesting juxtaposition. Dude, if you're gonna scream, scream with me. Moments like this never last. Oh my god, that is so. I mean, look, make fun of the misfits for being a a meme, but that lyric, hybrid moments—that just the idea of a hybrid moment and how like they never really happen ever again. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's. I don't want to give them too much credit, but like they. And also, <laughs> I, this might. I try to do a bit about uh, bullet, like how the beginning of that song, you know, is like uh, you know Kennedy's shattered head hits concrete. Ride Johnny, ride like this indictment of like the Kennedy assassination. But then the second half, like so, like Danzig gets into the booth and he's like, "Hey guys, I'll take it from here. I got the lyrics for this one." And they're like, "All right." So then he's like, you know, hitting them with all that, and then the second half of the song where it's. My come be your life source, and the only way to get it <laughs> is to suck or fucking just thinking of like Jerry only and like his brother being like, "Wait, what's what's going on in there, Danzig?" <laughs> this is <taking laughs> a real sharp left turn from the Kennedy uh, stuff to <laughs> Jackie O sucking you off and your your seed. What? All right, we'll we'll trust him on this one. <laughs> only only Danzig would uh, have inserted himself and his. Uh his manhood into that it's it's ludicrous situation. that song those lyrics don't make any sense <laughs> one question for you before we get into the tournament just because you did tour in a punk band for many years and now yeah. you tour as a comedian mm-hmm. uh and i've never toured as a comedian but done a lot of touring in a, in a rock band what what's different what what's the same um i'm just curious to to hear a comparison well what's the same is that you have um an end goal that day you have a mission every day, like you're in a video game and it's to get to Kansas city. Yeah. You know? Um, so that's cool to have like a purpose. 
Uh, well, you know, it, to have a daily purpose, it's a new adventure is fucking sick. Yeah. But what's different as a comic is you're alone. Like, you know, you, I might have my feature with me or whatever, but those days of being in the van with Clay and, uh, and uh, our old singer, Willie, man. And then also, like, we would take, we took a couple younger bands on the road with us. God, just the camaraderie and the you versus the world aspect of being like, you know, you know, like like Gun Club said, a ghost on the highway. Like, no one knows where you are. You're a pirate. You're a mercenary. And you, we walked into some bad situations as bands because we weren't wearing the, uh, you know, the studded leather vests and we didn't have mohawks and we'd go play community centers and DIY spaces. So our big issue was like we would be out and we would play for all the kids who just wanted to hear like, uh, you know, casualties covers. We were too arty for them because we were kind of like Minutemen met Lightning Bolt type thing. But then when we would go play like the cool guy warehouse spaces, we were too punk for them. So like right. we never, we never fit in anywhere, but we had each other and I just, I'll never, I mean, <clears throat> I'm super grateful that for the success that I'm uh, finally having in stand up. but God, those years in the van with Clay and Willie and whatever kids we had opening for us, literally counting fucking quarters and nickels and dimes on the hood of the van so that we might be able to get like a pack of the cheapest cigarettes and a couple of forties, like sleeping outside in Idaho, sleeping beneath the van, like, those those I I romanticize things every day, but I have so much of a sentimental feeling for those times. And stand up doesn't have that. Stand up is much more of like a, you know, I supply a good, you purchase it off me. There's an exchange. That's the end of it. When we were playing those shows afterward, you you sleep in those people's house. You know, they serve you quinoa. It was so beautiful, dude. And that, there's not that beauty in stand up as far as the touring aspect. You know, do you think some of that is just age? Like if you had started doing stand-up at 20. I started when I was 19. Okay, so you did. And did you yeah. tour as a comic when you were younger? Or, you know, if like, I wonder if you had had a bit more success at a younger age, how much of it might have, you might have, like, had to form a crew. You know, it, it's almost like, because you're coming out of adolescence and peers are so important to mm -hmm. adolescence to bring a little developmental lens into it. Yeah. That, you know, it's like, it's not only because you have to play in a band, right? And you need the multiple instrumentalists. Of course, you, that is part of the reason. But I think if you're a SoundCloud rapper and you're 20 and you're hitting the road, you're bringing three buddies along with you because because you're 20. For you sure. Know? So I don't wonder if that's a part of it too. Well, I did. I did crew up. Like, um, so I started stay. I started improv when I was 18, stand up when I was 19, and then I would take time off to go live in upstate New York where Clay lived. Uh, and we live, we live in this anarchist commune and then we would tour and then I'd move back to Denver and get student loans again and try college again. So it was this big like on off period where when I was in Denver, I was doing stand up, going to college, thinking about moving back to the, to the woods and being on the road. But I did eventually like crew up, like there was this, it's pretty common in stand up to have like, you know, like four person, like comedy production vehicles. So I had the fine gentlemen's club with me and three of my friends and we threw a weekly show and we did like two, three week tours together where it was the four of us each doing 20 minutes mm -hmm. because I think I was so desperate to try and not just uh, recreate those band days, but also like I came from sports. So I love the idea of teamwork. Totally. Yeah, you're definitely right, man. I, I totally get why those kids or even like those dudes and chicks and people who do like the uh, they'll have like the fucking like glitch, like, you know, like the one like uh, like a Dan Deacon or like a picture plane type person. Yeah. Who like they're just like pretty much playing a laptop, but they yeah, have knobs for some reason and some knobs, yeah, to so that it looks like they're doing something, yeah, yeah. But they usually bring someone to play tambourine and like someone to like do like interpretive dance, and I think it's just because you want you want people with you. Yeah. We all want people with us, no matter what. I think. I think that's true, except for a very few uh, personality types. But yeah, by and large, I think that's yeah, like right. Danzig didn't want anyone with him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's uh, too bad he had to. Too bad he couldn't have just played a laptop. He might have been happier. Yeah, he for sure would. And so would his bandmates. <laughs> All right, let's get into this 80s punk tournament here, Sam. Right, so okay. let's talk about criteria. So basically, the way I decided to cut it off is bands who did serious work and or had their heyday in the 1980s. There's like a lot of bands that were primarily late 70s, Misfits, The Clash, The Damned, Ramones, etc., like Misfits of their top eight or ten tracks, 
like seven or eight of them were released in the 70s. Yeah, man, so but they I'm, didn't they didn't bloom though until yeah, like the 80s. Though. I know. You got to cut it off some way though. Hey. And sonically, I think that they fit better coming up against the Pistols and the Ramones than they do against Husker Du, for instance. And we're only going to play songs that were released in the 80s. So bands like Descendants who have stuff in the 90s and aughts, we're not going to hear any of those tracks. Okay. I'm saving Operation Ivy for a ska punk episode. They probably they have no fit business otherwise. in this. They have no business in this bracket. Uh, Fugazi, that's nope. one's always tough. I think of them post hardcore, not punk. They're not so hardcore. I left them off. They're not yeah. hardcore at all. Yeah, right. Uh, Minor Threat is here, so we get we get yes. Ian anyway. I would definitely recommend that people listen to the official playlist for today's episode. I always do one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a link in the show notes, but. I put in like three or four songs for basically every band. And a lot of these songs, you know, half the bands will get axed after one. Yeah. And I also threw in, in like maybe 10 more tracks for bands that didn't make the top 16, like the dicks are in there. So uh, just, just a plug for the playlist. Yeah. Naked Raygun. People forget about them. Um, I'll also, I'll also suggest some companion uh, reading. You've read our band could be your life, right? I am halfway through it on Audible, actually, as yeah. we speak. Yeah, yeah. That that book and American Hardcore are both excellent compendiums of uh, of what was going on in this era. And I've read Our Band Could Be Your Life, I don't know, ten times. I have not read American Hardcore, but I watched the the documentary, which I yeah. think is based on the book, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's that... really good, as well as Salad Days, which is focused yep. on the DC scene. Yeah. Both both very good documentaries if you're wanting to kind of dig deeper into this era the regionalism of american hardcore it was first of all it was really funny to see what poison idea looked like (laughs) the first time i saw what they were just like huge man pigs you know and that was that was you know representations is important but uh also um (laughs) i think that uh the regionalism of hardcore i took that into stand-up and that was very much me like hitting up people who lived in austin seattle portland you know all these like towns and being like hey uh can i come crash on your couch i'm gonna do all the open mics in new orleans for a week yes and then when they came back to denver we put them on our shows made sure they had gas money like i totally ported everything i learned how to do from booking uh you know punk rock tours on like do it what was it diy or book your own fucking life book your own the fucking life the, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well that's okay that's one last little detour here because i have found myself thinking about this a lot in the in the realm of podcasting like i have been podcasting now since 2016 yeah and i have basically done it myself like i was a I've been a commercial composer and of course I was in the band. So I'm familiar with all the audio equipment. And I was like, I want to interview people. And one thing I've been thinking, especially while I've been doing this show, pretty good vibrations, Sam, I have other shows I've been doing on and off for the last seven years. And, uh, but starting to do this and focus more on music, I've been like, Oh, that's like a real through line for me that I was like, Oh, I got a microphone. I know how to mix audio. Like I'll just fucking do this. And, you know, it's it's much more digital. I, I'm not hitting the road, although starting to do in-person events now that COVID has relaxed, which is great. But that rules, man. But yeah, like that the the lineage there and and Sherwood, my band, we were super DIY back 2004, 2005, just like scrapping anything we could together to get out on the road and dropping out of college and and all that stuff. And it's just been interesting to see the through lines. So, dude, you're you're describing exactly, and I'm I I love that for you, man. That rules. I'm glad that you like it for me. Okay. I do. It's cool. It's good to know that you're uh, you got your bona fides. <laughs> I'm, Speaking of rules, let's yeah. talk about the rules of the tournament. So, okay. um and by the way, the the seeding of the bands was done via monthly Spotify listeners. You got to have some sort of an objective metric and that's the the one I used and also the the song choices are top Spotify plays as long as okay. they meet the the 1980s criteria. There's one on here. There's one on here that's already just going to be a Sophie's choice for me. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but well, and and that I know because you mentioned in our first email, Minutemen and Husker Du as two of your yeah. favorite bands, and the seating put them up against each other. I'm really sorry about that, Sam. It's really hard for me. I mean, also it's probably good because they just would have won. I would have yeah. like made sure they would have won no matter what. So. <laughs> okay, so this is a single elimination March Madness style tournament. A new song each round from the the band that wins the previous okay. round. 
each matchup, Sam, is song versus song as you hear it right now. Oh, we're doing not, song versus song, not yep, entire canon. Okay, not, not canon body of versus work. canon. Uh, but of course, you know, our feelings about bands do affect how we hear songs. Okay. So that's fine. But as much as possible, we want to we wanna kind of really put the songs against each other. We yeah. will talk about bands in general okay. once they get eliminated. We'll, we'll spend a couple minutes chat about that band, any stories, sure. any associations. You actually choose each winner. You're the arbiter, but I have one veto per round if I want to use it. Love it. Okay. Okay. And then uh, this is a new rule. You have two specialty moves that you can use once each, little lifelines, you might say. Uh, the rain delay, where each band gets the next track. <laughs> okay. okay. We just pause the game. We just delay it, and then they get the next track each. Okay, cool. And a, and a pinch hitter. You swap out a song of your own choosing for oh. one of the two artists. Wow, okay. You can play each of those once if you want to. You don't have to. Okay. Any questions on the rules? No, dude. Good work. This sounds like fun. And then we will crown the winner. I was trying to think of uh, a nice pun for what to call the winner of an 80s hardcore punk bracket. Uh, here are three ideas. And if you have any of your own, you can throw them in. The okay. DIY Duke of 80s punk. I was going with royalty names. The Viscount of Van Odor. Maybe a little thirsty. Sure. The, the, the Prince of Pogoing. Uh, <laughs> no, that was first wave. These kids weren't Pogoing. They do pogo in Decline of Western Civilization. They do, they do, but that they was like, that was like uh, it is seventy nine. It's seventy nine in the filming. Yeah. All right, round one, matchup one. We have Black Flag versus the Exploited. If you're a football fan, this is the University of Alabama versus the Idaho State Bengals. All right. <laughs> These two teams have no business playing in the same stadium. They shouldn't have been playing the same sport, but here we go. I'll entertain this one. All right, here's Rise Above from Damaged. Yep. Up against Sex and Violence by The Exploited. Sex and violence. 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 I'm trying to think of the kind of award I want to give to the exploited, which is like, I'm trying to think of an example of something where the merchandise far outstrips the product yes. that the merchandise is a reference to. Oh yeah. Dude, that exploited like uh, uh, the side profile of the skeletal Mohawk. That's a sick logo. That's it a hard ass logo. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that's doing more work than any of their songs on their behalf. Dude, the exploited, this was a make-a-wish for them. All right? This is when you hand the kid with <laughs> leukemia the football and you let him score the touchdown when the team's already up by 40. The exploited are bat kid. Yeah. Yes, they are bat kid. They have no business being here. They should be ashamed of themselves, honestly. <laughs> for even having thrown their hat in the ring. Yeah. Like, their parents didn't come. They didn't buy the tickets to come watch the game because they knew that it was going to be a blowout. This is like Cousin Greg in Succession offering that maybe he has a role in, in the in the family business. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, dude, I don't know how the exploited made it into this bracket. Uh I just did it by I just did it by 80s punk bands and Spotify plays, uh Spotify listeners. So I think my guess is that sex and violence is on a bunch of like, you know, editorial Spotify playlists, you know, because I don't know. But apparently they got, I mean, they have a couple hundred thousand monthly listeners or whatever. I mean, all these kids, bands do Kids to are make stupid, Dan. Kids are dumb. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. Is it kids who are, or is it like Gen Xers? I'm not really sure. Good point, yeah. Okay, so Black Flag goes on. Is there anything else to say about The Exploited or anything about Rise Above uh, the track? 
I was in a bunch of bands and for a while in high school, uh, there was like this auxiliary building on my parents' property and we would just get all the heads in there and like a bunch of weed and like whatever beers we could get. And we would just have like three day jams where people were like sleeping on the floor and, you know, you'd have like four guitars going, like a drummer, like a saxophone, like bassist, like everyone just brought their stuff and we would jam. And I remember that sex and violence was the one that we would tune up with. That was the hmm. one that we would get into the groove with. Cause you know, it's just a, the same repetitive dirge, yeah. but as a drummer, you know, there's a lot of Tom work. You can get in there and mess it up. And then everyone just takes solos over sex and violence. So I've definitely heard 35 people screaming along to sex and violence in my yeah. parents' little uh, weird barn. So, yeah. <laughs> and that's a nice, that's a good memory. That's a, it I is. love that. Dude, rise above. When that guitar comes in, you're 14 years old. A girl's never given you a kiss. Of course, you're going to fucking punch your hole through a window when that song comes on. Absolute banger. Musically, something that I really like about that track, and and there are other Black Flag songs that do this, like if Black Flag makes it all the way, we'll hear TV Party, for instance. And the the guitar riff there is it's all major chords. Like that is not it's it's poppy. Like Greg Ginn is basically playing a guitar hook while Henry Rollins is just yelling. Right. And there's something about it being major key and kind of bright and uh, frankly, optimistic sounding, plus all the energy, of course, and and that sort of teen angst in there, that it just really works. Like I, I think that that's kind of part of the formula for why that that track still sounds like pretty fresh today, even though it very much sounds like it was recorded and released in 1981. Yeah, I mean, as a drummer, I have no idea what you just said, but um, okay. you know, <laughs> I don't know what a major chord is. Uh, but... Major chords are the happy chords, and minor chords are the sad chords. Okay, cool. So I think that I'm probably have my ear is typically attracted to the sad chords, but mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, also, dude, just like just the way that they're like the guitar like slide up the neck that he launches into it, and it sounds like a plane taking off. Like, yeah, there's a reason that this communicated with generations of just you know disaffected fifteen year old boys. Okay, so matchup number two. This is really two of your all time favorite bands. This is a tough one. This is a tough oh. one. Oh, my God. Okay, now I got to say, with Minutemen, it was kind of hard to find songs that can kind of comfortably be classified as, as punk rock or hardcore in any kind of way. Like, their number one track is the Jackass theme song. Of course, totally, yeah. Which I, that's not really a punk song. So, I've got Vietnam here by Minutemen. Okay. So, that's going to be our first, like, there's there's some real punk energy here. Yep. And this is up against Husker Du, Don't Want to Know If You Are Lonely. Oh, my God. Sorry, Sam. At one point, I should just say for the listener, you disappeared entirely from the frame. You leaned so far back in your chair at the difficulty of the situation. But but you're back now on camera. I don't want to use this so early. All right. But if we're trying to put the Minutemen into a framework where they can compete as a hardcore band, mm -hmm. can can I do the, the other song variant? You want to pinch hit for the Minutemen track? Yes, because I, I, I so I that think they can that, beat your other favorite band. <laughs> no, I don't even know if they're gonna win, dude. But you all just right? UK, okay, all right. But but okay, Great. it's a song of your choosing. So what would you like to hear by Minutemen? You're you're playing the pinch hitter card. Contained. Okay, contained by Minutemen. I just want the listener who might not be that well accustomed to Minutemen and think of them as the Jackass band to hear what they sounded like. Cause I think the only version they recorded is a live version. So 
And I, dude, I mean, I'm calling in the airstrike and I don't even know if we're going to win the war. Yeah. But I love that. That's the use. I love that you're using it to sort of stand for one of your favorite bands for the listeners. I think that's a great unselfish use of the pinch hitter card, bro. I'm not standing. Minutemen changed my life. Minutemen. Would you say that punk rock changed your lives? I mean, I would say punk rock definitely put the stink on my life. And I was a fucking corn dog dancing in Pedro. All right. But I will also say that without Minutemen, I would not be doing anything that I'm doing right now. I have Minutemen. I have a giant Minutemen tattoo. My biggest tattoo on my forearm is a Minutemen tattoo. I love it. All right. Yeah. Uh, so by the way, punk rock changed our lives was a Minutemen uh, call out yeah. sampled famously by Sublime. Yeah. Okay. Here's contained by Minutemen pinch hitting for Vietnam. I love who screwed you, but I have to say Minutemen. I cannot not say Minutemen. Okay. And look, maybe this is my heart playing uh, tricks on my soul. And also I am totally, totally a Stan. And it's, I, I, I have rose colored lenses and it's impossible for me not to say Minutemen. That's okay. I appreciate the honesty. Let's talk about who screwed you a little bit then. They're better than Minutemen probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're different. I actually love of Vietnam, that Minutemen track. We also played it on the post-punk episode because they they really kind of blur the lines there, of course. They do, but they were also playing with Flag. They were playing yeah. in community centers with Descendants and X. Like, But that was really the big takeaway for me from the post-punk episode, actually, is that post-punk was there with punk rock from the beginning. I mean, why was, is a post-punk band? They were around in what, right, 77? Exactly. 77, exactly. Yeah. It really starts at the same time. It's really more parallel than it is after, post. Right. So that makes sense to me. Husker Du, the, the thing I heard, especially in that track, and, and as I was kind of prepping and listening to some of their stuff, I'm not really familiar with them. I didn't grow up on them. They were not in the kind of first couple waves of, of punk bands I got into. But it makes more sense to me of the Descendants 80s and early 90s catalog pre everything sucks to listen to Husker Du it's and you know they're SST band right so mm -hmm. it's that kind of it's always sounded to me like an to me like an odd use of 80s drum tones like for all these punk records I don't think it's aged as well as the the kind of bone dry approach of the late 70s punk records um, it'll be interesting to get to 1981's Milo goes to college mm -hmm. because that is recorded more dry yeah. and I think holds up much better than the next two or three descendants records as a result sonically. But who's Dues, I mean, they're good. Like they have been added to my catalog now as a result yeah. of, of prepping for today. Husker Du should have been R.A.M. You know what I mean? Like they should have been the replacements. Husker Du competing with the replacements in Minneapolis created so many good fucking songs. Mm -hmm. And you know what? The more I think about this matchup between Minutemen and Husker Du, like Husker Du put out Zen Arcade, their double album. And that's why Minutemen put out double nickels because they were like, well, the Huskers put out, you know, 40 songs. We're going to do 55. That's my Mike Watt. So <laughs> good impression. Husker Du, those songs, dude. And also two gay guys and then a guy who looks like the gayest guy alive on base, but he isn't gay. You know, he looks that, that their bass player looks like a Tom from Finland drawing, but he was, he was the only straight one. And just to have them like playing the same shows is like, you know, anyway, they, they played some gnarly shows, dude. And they're, they yeah. play really fast. And for one quick fun who's story without, cause I'm just gushing. I'm just a boolean. It's I'm great. not being very formative uh, or constructive, but who's <clears throat> land speed record. That one that's like, one of the fastest and tight and technically sound records. Their first album is a live album they recorded. That night, you know, uh, the apocryph apocryphal story is, is that they had two sets. So that first one, they played their really fast stuff. And then their second set, it was supposed to be another album. And it was more of like a Black Sabbath, like sludgier, like slowed down type stuff. And I always heard that story. And then one time I was doing a gig in Minneapolis and this dude came up, this like old head. And he was like, man, I heard you like Husker Du. Well, hey, 
you want to come over to my house? I got something to show you. And I'm like, well, I've fallen for this before, sir. Or I'll be covering, <laughs> I'll be covering my drinks. But he's just, so anyway, I get over there and he's like, listen to this. And he puts on that. It sounds like it was recorded in a silo through like a, like yeah. a speak, like a speak and say, but he claims that it was the second set from that Husker do night because wow. Husker do never, they said that they couldn't record it because it, it said like they fucked up the recording. And this guy had a bootleg of that second set. And I remember just sitting there and being like, this might be the best lie I've ever been told. Yeah. It could yeah. be true. It could be true. I mean, it sounded, it sounded like dude's voice. So, yeah. But yeah, dude, I'm really sorry to see Husker do go. If, if I, if I got to make this bracket, it'd be Husker do one versus, uh, like the final, the, the championship game would be Husker do versus Minutemen. Well, let's play another track by them as we go. Like you, you call it out. What what track would you like Biggest to hear about lie. Husker do? Biggest lie, Husker do. Oh, I didn't realize that you were doing a Husker do joke there. That was a nice little move. I wasn't trying to, so I appreciate you finding humor in in, uh, in me blowing it. Here we go. The biggest lie. That's definitely more in that kind of hardcore vein than Bro. the you know a couple albums later where they're getting it is more replacement C right it's more a bit more kind of radio pop song rock yeah. stuff yeah but dude that song's about a guy uh, who uh, he so he hooks up because Zen Arcade's a whole concept album and that song is about uh, hooking up with this guy you're in love with and then he refuses to admit that he's a homosexual he's on the down low so mm. go back to your girlfriend go back to your day job go back to your hometown the biggest lie you always lie dude Oof. awesome awesome uh. that's a great topic for a punk song yes dude and imagine cool. playing that when everyone just wants to uh see the exploited you know what i mean and there's <laughs> and you know there is a lot of homophobia the bands that have existed and and kind of kept going that persisted rather like descendants bad brains too right they've all sort of played down not not played down distanced themselves from and apologized for they're kind of late teen, early 20s homophobia in yeah. the late 70s and early 80s. But it was definitely a part of this scene. I mean, it, it's it's on Bad Brains and Descendants songs. This wasn't 2020, you know, no. like when this is going on. There there are real stakes for Bob Mould and, and others, you know, in that moment. And that's that kind of adds to the punkness of it in my mind. It's incredibly punk. And I mean, look, dude, with the Descendants, I, I saw them at Fest and like, you know, everyone was like, are they going to say the slurs? Are they going to sing the slurs? And they didn't. But it's like, dude, if you would have recorded the music I was making when I was 17, good God, would I totally. need to write? I'd, I'd, have to, I'd have to have a form letter of apology because I carry <laughs> my back pocket, you know? But yeah, I'm really sorry to see you go, Husker Du. And if I could replace you for any of these other songs, these other bands, I would. I'm sorry, buddies. Okay, next up, Minor Threat versus Agent Orange, East versus West Coast. Okay, so for we Minor have, Threat, yeah. we get the song Minor Threat. Great. Up against bloodstains. Blood, bloodstains. It's always bloodstains. Yep. They can't make things worse for me. Sometimes I'd rather die. They can't tell me lots of things, but I can't say I die. I know they know the way I think. I know they always will. But someday I'm gonna change my mind. Sometimes I'd rather kill. Ooh, 
that <laughs> we, song fucking holds up bro come on and then you didn't play the guitar solo where it sounds like it's like that weird like almost like a like a surf guitarist trying to get a genie out of a lamp you know <laughs> <laughs> well i try and keep things at 30 seconds just no, for I like get it. copyright reasons yeah. yeah um i mean i i've come around on minor threat again a band both of these bands are bands that i missed growing up most of these bands that's the case um, I've come around on Minor Threat. I think there's something really special about that band. I think watching some of those documentaries kind of helped me contextualize, but also Ian MacKay's voice. Mm-hmm. His kind of yell sing, like he's yelling, but he's he's yelling a particular note. That's like a really nice kind of middle ground for like yeah. it, it sort of it it makes you happy sort of melodically while also having the kind of aggression you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, that Asian Orange song is like elite. Oh. I can't, I can't agree with you more, dude. That Asian Orange song makes you just feel like you're in a car with your buddies in someone's older sister's car and you guys got it for the weekend and you're just cruising through whatever shitty suburban hellhole you live in, smoking the worst cigarettes you can get your hands on, cruising to raise some hell. And you're not going to find any hell to raise. You're going to Blockbuster, you're going to rent a video game, you're going to go play <laughs> it in someone's basement. But when that song's on, you are a fucking heat-seeking missile, dude. Yeah, great song. All-time great song. If we were doing songs, that's just one of the best songs ever. Yeah, I love that. The production, you know the production, but that's I think it sounds beautiful. I think it sounds perfect. Oh my gosh. That's what I'm talking about though. So that actually I'm not I'm not taking Agent Orange. You're not taking him. I mean, in that song, yes, but if we're talking like We're talking it's song to song, Sam. That's oh, that's how we fuck. try and do it. If it's that's song how we try to and song, do it. I will yeah. adhere to what you I'll, I'll adhere to the rules of the game, but okay, appreciate minor it. threat is incredibly important to uh, all of these bands here. Yep. And there, I don't mm-hmm. think there would be an Agent Orange without a minor threat. No, I think so that's I true. So I want to take minor threat. I don't think that's true because Bloodstains was initially recorded a year or two before the early minor threat stuff. Really? The version we heard is the 1979 version. They recorded it at the end of 1979. It came out in 1980. But dude, here's the issue with this is that Bloodstains is a banger, an all-time banger. But yeah, dude, it's a better song. What's what song B going to be? You know what well, I mean? Well, that's I know. Well, song B is going to be Everything Turns Gray, which is also oh, a good shit. song. Oh, it's a good song. Dude. We'll see. We'll see how it does up against whoever wins Descendants versus X. So yeah, but Minor Threat, dude. You know my favorite Ian MacKay uh, quote is when people are like, "Yo, know, they were just you know when you were in Minor Threat, like they were just like." playing you know two or three chord songs and ian's like yeah but those those were good songs like they were good musicians we were you know when we got together we were in our teens like they were writing hella good songs and him just defending like the shitty guitars actually i was listening back on that track there and i was like that is some pretty serious guitar playing yeah like it's actually it's deceptive how difficult it is to hold those chords and strum them that quickly with that much articulation between each hit. They had to be sober. That's what <laughs> they had to be yeah. exactly. Cause they're straight edge. So uh, is there, I, I have a song I'd like to hear to, to bid adieu to minor threat, which is salad days. It's like a little less yeah. well known, but I just think it's so great, but I will defer to you and what you'd like to hear as we, as we say goodbye to them. No, man, I'm a guest here. Salad Days is a great song, but I am heartbroken that Minor Threat will not be in the final four. That pisses me off. I mean, you could fake it and say that you thought that the min- that Minor Threat was a better song than Bloodstains, but I yeah, don't I'm going to compose. I'm going to be a poser on the '80s hardcore podcast. <laughs> Are you crazy? No, dude. Okay, here's Salad Days. that track i you know there's still more steps before you get to fugazi especially like you know the embrace record and then what what Gee brings through rites of spring but that does to me feel like you're they're slowing down a little bit he's getting a bit more melodic it's kind of paving the way for fugazi and it just makes me like it even more 
It's also funny because you know that they wrote that first part and they were like, damn, this is cool. Oh, we should explore this more. And then they probably played it at a saw like at a show and they played like a longer version of that and everyone was like furious and they're like, All right, never mind. We're sorry, yeah, everyone. Put a punk song back in here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I think that they were kind of pushing the boundaries and and doing it from a very organic place and really like my sense of of those dudes and that scene is that for whatever reason, they were able to really latch on to a true love of experimentation, of trying things out, but not not like overthinking them, recording them fairly quickly, but intelligibly. And it's just a, it's like non-repeatable. Well, what they're I think they're they're 26 songs is their entire canon, I think. Um, yeah. But I just mean kind of that whole, you know, all the stuff that they did at that studio and they all start bands. They they yeah. record one album which comes out after they break up. I mean, there's like so many bands like that in that DC scene. Also, I always respected hearing the stories about them hand folding their seven inch. Like they, you know, they would have like parties where they would all just get together with like glue and they would yeah. they they literally like took apart a record. They traced it on a piece of cardboard and then they ordered those themselves. They got them all printed themselves. Like as yeah. a guy who still makes his own T-shirts and, and you know, hand packaged, self-published his book. I got a book called Running the Light that I still sell out of my house that I sign, seal and deliver myself. Like, yeah, I took I, I really admire their work ethic and putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah, that's that DIY thing that we were talking about before we started the the bracket. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Well, much love to Minor Threat. Next up. I'm sorry. Everyone who's yelling at their radios right now, I, I get it. I'm I mean, with you. look, I don't think some people probably like the song Minor Threat more than the song Bloodstains. They're lying. But like, I don't, yeah, they might be lying to themselves. All right. Yeah. Descendants versus X. Now, X is interesting because they really only have one punk album they shouldn't be in this bracket honestly but they are so but they are just always identified with that early 80s la punk scene and that one record does fit so you know what if you feel that way just just knock them out first round no no dan i'm 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 not a contrarian i'm not a dickhead but here's hope by the by descendants from Milo goes to college. I believe it's 1982. And this song wins the entire bracket. (laughs) This song. Anyway, go ahead. Hope is so good. I can't wait to hear it. All right, here we go. Why can't you say you talk to me? face right now is just priceless. You're, I'm like you're, crying, dude. I'm like with the misty eyed. <laughs> yeah, that's really sweet. You know, this hardened, you know, road, crusty road hardened comic, former punk rocker, just just letting it all come out of those those tear ducts right now. Bro, I engage with a very romantic way with the world. So yes, this song moves me to tears. It's so important to me. And the first time I heard it ever was through Sublime. It was a Sublime cover. And I remember I got it via like LimeWire when I was burning out like my third computer downloading songs. And yeah. Oh, my God. Hope. Oh, my God. Yeah. The price you paid was all the viruses that riddled your computer. Um, Yeah. But you got the MP3 for free. I did. Here's Los Angeles by X. Another great song, but... We don't. We don't even have to have this conversation. Are you okay. crazy? It's are you crazy? one of the best songs ever. Versus like Jason and the Scorchers ask bullshit. Look, I love X, dude. I've seen X a bunch. <laughs> My dad loved X. Like X is a cool band, but they have no business being up against these other fifteen bands, dude. What was the other thing that I can do? I can like call an audible or something. Well, if you want to, you can. I don't know. I don't think you'd want to use it here, but you can do rain delay where you get another track for okay, each okay. band. Yeah. No. 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 So no. we'll save that one. 
I thought you were going to say I could like change a band out and I would put gun club in where they are because gun club is one of the greatest bands of all time. And also like very like in this era, but X you're cool. Billy zooms a psycho who I've seen recently. And he just wears like a zoot suit on stage with a string tie and just smiles at the crowd the whole time. You know, John Doe looks cool as fuck. Like, Exena, I got nothing but cool. I I I, I like them a lot, but yeah, <laughs> Descendants mop the floor with X. Are you crazy? I mean, I'm I'm glad you feel that way, dude. As one former guest, Ben Bishop said, "The only rule is that we have fun, Dan." So let's just play. Fun, a, let, let's play a Gun Club track while we're talking about them. G- give me the song you want to hear. Ghost on the highway. Yeah, Ghost on the highway. That's, that's the one. Yeah. It's cloudy in the west. It looks like rain. My eyes are black holes and I'm burning away You slaughtered your loving man, killed him in his sleep And the bloody crown of your murder simply stains the sheets Your ghost on the highway Your gestures meaningless Your loss to the living man Trace souls to the end I don't know, Gun Club. Dude, Dan, welcome welcome i'm hearing uh your folk punk era in there for sure i'm also hearing some lou reed in the vocal delivery and that kind of a lot of people do you know draw a line like you mentioned earlier from the velvet underground to punk rock they're obviously one of those kind of proto you know especially that super diy uh noisy kind of recording style Mm -hmm. which they perfected in the 60s so that's cool and they got that twang, and there's a bunch of like Western imagery, dude. I just, yeah. I'm enamored with Gun Club. So thank you for indulging me, Dan. Happily. <laughs> 